Jonathan Walsh here for round 19 of Don the Stat. Uh, take two against the Pies this week. Uh, another, yeah, really always a, a big game for our club coming up against one of the old foes. As always, joined by my trusty co-host, Ian Hume. Hume, how are you, mate? Uh, I'm okay. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm living in a plague house. Uh, my partner uh, caught COVID yesterday, so that's been a fun experience. Um Sort of trying to manage that, not being able to go in my own bedroom, but we're we're coping. And obviously, she's having to deal with it more than I am. So it's a good practice for me with my my son, and when our next baby comes, being his centre of attention. So silver linings, I guess. It's surely not the first time you've had to sleep on the couch either, mate. No, no. Well, you know, you get used to things um, after a while. Absolutely, yeah. very good, mate. Well, uh, a little bit. New territory for us. We've uh, we're, we're doing it this week, doing the podcast this week after three week wins in a row. Uh, I'm not sure when the last time we did that was, but certainly uh, new territory in 2022. So well, we uh, we haven't done that yet. So as as a podcast, so it is brand brand new territory. I don't know how to how to think about it. Sometimes you know, sometimes there's more to talk about after a loss when you when you're digging down into it than a win. So, but we've found a few things to talk about this week, which we're we're looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. And and you wanted to give a shout out to, to Toby again, mate, who I, I think I noticed is listening live. He is listening live. Hello, Toby. Thanks again for appearing uh, on our bonus episode. Um, I, I thought some really great feedback from it. Uh, I think real people really enjoyed listening to your, your story and, and being a Don's fan from the others, you know, basically on the other side of the world and, and following uh, as closely as anyone from, from Melbourne. So again, big thanks to you. Uh, thanks to everyone who, who's listened to that. Um, it won't be any this week with uh, what's going on at home. I don't have time to put uh, one together this week, but I am working on a few, but as always, I'm looking, looking for people who want to volunteer to, to share their story, or if you've got any suggestions, I'm always happy to listen to them and, and approach them there. Yeah, it was great. Uh, mate, and thanks from my perspective too, Toby. That was an awesome listen. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, heaps. It's, yeah, it, it, one of the things I love about football and, and our club is that it's made up of, of people with so many different stories. So, yeah, it's really enjoyable if you haven't listened yet. Uh, Toby's a, a Don's fan all the way from Sweden. So, yeah, j- jump into your podcast feed and give it a listen. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great story. Uh, yeah, should we and talk we've about- got some, sorry, just before, just before we get to Gold Coast, uh, we've got some got a, quite a lot of people listening live and really appreciate people who are giving up their Thursday night, although AFL haven't scheduled a game for some reason, which I think is a bit of a missed opportunity from their part, but it gives us the opportunity to have some live listeners. And if at any stage you've got any questions, just put your hand up in the chat. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yes, but I mate. Uh, should we have a, have a chat about the Suns? Yeah, let's. It was a, I, I managed to get to the game. It was my uh, third game for the year and it was my first win, so I was quite... Uh, I quite enjoyed it. It was one of those games where you, after the first quarter, you never really felt uh, in doubt about the result. And then obviously to be there for the the highlight, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. Uh, you know, it was just one of those uh, lifelong moments that I think will stick with me. Yeah, spot on, mate. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, clearly our, our best win of this season. It was, it was the most comprehensive. And I think we, you know, other than, that window in the first quarter where we allowed them to kick four in a row and come back at us. We, uh, we really did control the game, didn't we? Well, let's get in, into the points. And I think we, we're going to have a few big ticks for the points that we looked at before the game. The first thing was about uh, being a big test for our, our press. 
because as we identified, the Suns are a team that like to run and then happy to kick to a contest and, and use their use their pressure forwards to, to move the ball on. Uh, and we were really quite successful in, in counteracting that. It was, you know, probably one of our best efforts at denying a team the, the, the way they want to play. Yeah, we spoke to me how the Suns are quite unique. They're a, um, you know, very much a, a, a kick team and, and sort of run the ball and kick to contest and, and try and set up and move the ball to the next contest. So it was a, a real different um, uh, way of going about things. But we, we created 22 more turnovers than we conceded. So we really were, we, we really were able to put a lot of pressure on them. Uh, we were plus 22 for intercepts and we had 16 forward 50 tackles, which is the second most we've had in the game. This season, we had 18 in the Carlton game. Uh, if you can remember back to there, we, we weren't able to hit the scoreboard, but we we did for a lot of the second half, keep the ball parked in our forward half. But, and just to add some context to that, Melbourne are number one in the AFL, fair forward, 50 tackles with 12 a game, and Gold Coast themselves are second in the AFL with 11 and a half. So to get 16 in a game is, you know, that that's a, an elite performance. And obviously, Matt Golfie was the star of the show in that regard. He had... I can't remember how many forward 50 tackles he had in total, but he had 10 tackles for the match, which was uh, an outstanding effort and, and I think just shows continual improvement in his game. Absolutely. I think it was eight, yeah, eight, eight inside the forward 50 out of those 10. And yeah, just really, really important that we have that, that pressure there. And then we wanted to see our, our rucks uh, work over wits. And it was really interesting to, for me to see that they started with Phillips uh, on wits. And it, it seemed like, a distinct plan that they wanted to really save Draper, keep some energy back for, for either going up against their second Ruckman, which ended up, which was Chol, or to, to tackle Wits when he was, when he was tired. How did you see that part of the game? Yeah, it's not the first time we've done that this year. Uh, it, it seems to me that we're, we're really trying to um, use Phillips as a bit more of a bash and crash and, um, and, and really try and physically work over the opposition Ruckman and then allow um, allow Draper to use his more athletic attributes to to sort of, I guess, expose the Ruckman the other way. I, I think the other thing that we, we did really well was we, our Ruckman obviously got on the scoreboard. So um, so I think, yeah, that was important too. And I think we uh, tied... I think we were even for hitouts. I think in the end, so uh, you know, given Wits is so dominant in the ruck, um, I think you, you take breaking even as a real win, don't you? And and the three goals on top of that between our ruckman and and uh, you know Draper was was obviously in the ruck for one of them, um, and and Phillips was in the ruck for the one that he kicked too. Um, so yeah, I think they they did an excellent job of, of working him into the ground and and giving us. Um, uh, having a real influence on how we played as well. Absolutely. And, and speaking of players we wanted to work over, there was obviously Tuk Miller is the standout Gold Coast player that everyone is trying to stop. And, you know, after the job that Caldwell did on Neil, that was the expectation was that Caldwell would, would go to Neil. I mean, sorry, Caldwell would go, Caldwell would go to Miller. And that's, that's exactly what happened for the first three quarters. And Caldwell did an excellent job for that first three quarters. And then they, once the game was won, they took the foot off the gas. So it's a hard job running with a player like Tuke Miller. So I think saving, saving him for, saving him for next week uh, was a, was a good call, even though Miller got off the chain in the last quarter, it didn't didn't really impact the game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, two weeks in a row, Caldwell's uh, done a defensive mid job and, 
and being able to get that balance between restricting the opposition's best midfielder and also getting the ball himself and, and being really effective with him. So yeah, I think, as you mentioned, Miller only had the 16 disposals in the first three quarters and just three clearances. And in fact, you know, we spoke last week about how the Suns really work hard to get the ball going forward from stoppage. They're, they're more than any other team in the comp exit stoppages in a forward direction. And he didn't have a, a stoppage clearance until the last quarter. So uh, yeah, fantastic job. Uh, and, and just another real important uh, weapon to add to our bow as we go forward and, and try and develop our team. Absolutely. And it, it sort of, it builds on what happened the week, the week prior to, to Brisbane with Sydney where Parrish played that limiting job on Mills. It's really good that we've got multiple players who can play that role. You're not just relying on one one to do that. You can you can mix and match there. But I guess Nick, moving on there, was, the next one was to use all our, all our forwards and and try and create space away away from the uh, the Gold Coast defenders and keeping them apart, like Collins and Ballard and like working together. And again, you know, we created uh, a numerous amounts of scoring shots and, and numerous marks and kicks to goal. Um, you know, we probably should have won by more. Probably, should, if you think about it, there was opportunity for some of those to go through for goals rather than behinds. But you know, when you're creating that many opportunities uh, and you're denying the opposition the same amount of opportunities, you're going to be successful more often than not. Yeah, it, it was um, apart from the accuracy, as you noted, um, it it was great. I, we we did use all of our forwards. <laughs> I think did we. I think we might have mozzed Peter Wright and um, Langford. I think we spoke last week about how good it was to have two forwards in our team that you could just rely on to to kick straight and convert their set shots. And what did they have? Two goals, seven or something between them. Um, so yeah, it didn't quite work out that way. But we had twelve players kick scoring shots, so or, or have scoring shots, and more than obviously half of our side uh, was able to hit the scoreboard. So it would have been nice to have been a little bit more accurate. But in terms of of not being predictable going forward. I think we did a really good job of that. And just building on that, so we, we did start quite well and we did identify that uh, Gold Coast are slow starters. They've been outscored quite heavily in first quarters this season. And for the first five or six minutes, it looks like that was going to come true. And then we obviously let Gold Coast back into it with their four uh, answering goals. And we only ended up wanting, winning that first quarter by a point. But again, it sort of played into that that uh, the way Gold Coast have been playing and not winning for uh, first quarters there. Yeah, I guess it's probably a little bit of a hangover of something that's plagued us for the last two years in, in allowing teams to get some momentum on us. The you know, thankfully for us, that quarter time break did did come, and I think we we kicked did we keep the last two behinds of the quarter anyway. So it wasn't like uh, we we didn't give ourselves an opportunity to wrestle momentum back. But yeah, that. That, those four goals they got back to come in a bit of a hurry and, and it, I would hope that the next sort of phase of development of our, our team is we're able to do a little bit more to stop those, uh, you know, run of goals that opposition are still scoring on us at times. Yeah, it's, it's about it's about changing a run of four or five into a run of, you know, two or three. So yep. you're, you're limiting the damage and then you're able to then respond in kind rather than, you know, letting them get that run on. Sure. So the next one then is in terms of contested ball and stoppages, and obviously Miller stopping Miller was a key part of that. But just in general, it was there was a clear there was a clear delineation between Gold Coast in wins versus losses. So 
Gold Coast would be plus four and a half stoppage clearances in wins and minus three in losses. And we actually got right on that point. We were up three stoppage clearances, which is right on the, the measurement for Gold Coast in losses. So again, tick there in terms of that. Uh, 19 contested, Gold Coast were 19 plus in contested ball and wins and minus 9.5 in losses, while Essendon won the contested ball by 22. So again, meeting those measures of, of how you beat Gold Coast. So again, you know, another tick there for, for the side in terms of meeting the metrics. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it, mate. It was um, uh, kind of built our form recently around winning contested ball and, and improving our work at stoppages. So I think, yeah, plus three at stoppages, plus 22 at contested ball was what, you know, ultimately allowed us to to be effective around the rest of the ground. Yeah, it, it leads into that next, the next point, which is the final one about um, having, having good run from behind, but also having... Uh, control of the ball in the air. So winning at, at contests and being able to find a target that can then take control of it. And Gold Coast have t- typically been really good at restricting opposition marks. But uh, this this week, we, we ended up having 117 marks, which again has been one of those uh, signposts of our resurgence in form that we've controlled the ball a lot more through through the air. And that's, that's the most Gold Coast have conceded all year. They've, they've only averaged 87 against for the season. So to have 117 against a team like that is is really impressive. Yeah, I think you only had to to watch the game to see that that run from behind was really evident in the way that we went about, you know, our offense, wasn't it? With, you know, Hines, Redmond, McGrath all had significant games, and and our midfielders got involved in that too. So, uh, so yeah, it's it's. Ironically, drew some criticism in the media this week, but it's a part of the game that's really working for us, and it's a um, uh, yeah, it's helping us to to win games of football. So uh, yeah, huge tick. And a bit a bit of a bonus. Obviously, I don't think we can go without going into you know we we tend to focus a lot more on stats and tactics and the like, but I just think every once in a while you've got to stop and just you know marvel marvel at a particular player and the, and their brilliance. And, and the Draper goal, so you you were watching uh, on on the TV. Uh, where does that sit for you in terms of moments? I I compared it to the, the Moorcroft mark in terms of just sort of the way the crowd reacted. What is your What's your thoughts on it in terms of just an Essendon moment? Yeah, I think in terms of individual uh, bits of play, I, I mean that. Yeah, it's it's up there. Um, it, it's certainly the most unique. I think I, I I I can't think of one that was. You just don't see players of that size and that stature do what he did. So uh, yeah, I I'm still laughing at it. To be honest, I can't watch it and not smile. And I've watched it a lot this week. So um, yeah, he. I mean, he's special, isn't he? He's he he's still raw and, and got a hell of a lot of development, but. Jeez, I think if you're um, the Pies doing their planning ahead of this game, you're thinking, you know, what what do we need to do to limit um, Draper's ability to? Uh, I mean, he's such a barometer. He gets other players up and about. He gets the crowd up and about too, doesn't he? So, um, and he's he's just a freak. He does things that are, are uh, you know that aren't predictable. Uh, he pretty much played basketball at one point with the ball. I don't know if you remember that, but he sort of dragged the ball out of out of um, a Gold Coast midfielder's hands and, and bounced it with his palm and then picked it up and kicked it over his head. And, and there was the kick out of midair that um, that went forward to, I can't remember who it was now, was it Martin or maybe Langford? I can't remember. But yeah, um, yeah, it, he's yeah, amazing. So um, 
yeah, I, I'm, I don't know what else I can add, mate. That was that was pretty incredible. Just beyond words, you just can't find the exact words to describe to describe something like that. Yeah, spot on. <laughs> All right, so well, let's move on to our in the news segment segment, and we've got a couple of uh, points before we get to our big one. The first one was. Uh, after we recorded on Thursday, they announced the resigning, the re-signing of uh, Andy McGrath for another two years, which is what you would expect to, uh, towards free agency. And again, it's, it's been really impressive seeing him since he's come back from his his last injury and just how he's settled into the back line and playing that role. He hasn't actually attended a centre bounce since the Richmond game, so I think it's pretty clear where the where the uh, the coaches see him going forward. Yeah, I think it's a big sighting, and I'm really confident that by the time he's finished his career, that the whole um, should have taken Taranto or should have taken McCluggage argument will be put to bed. And that's not to say he's going to end the best player or he's going to end up, uh, you know, winning a Brownlow or anything like that. But I, I think what we will see from him over his career as he starts to settle down as a halfback. Um, and, and a really strong leader for us is that his contribution to our team is going to continue to grow and, and he'll continue to become more and more important. And I think we're seeing that already with the work that he's doing in the back half and, and what he's doing to improve our structure and the way that we, we set up the ground. Uh, and, you know, leadership's a, a really undervalued um, quality. It's hard to – it's intangible, isn't it? I think, uh, you know, Taranto and McCluggage will have great careers, but I'm confident – McGraw will and and not that these three are, are in the Judd Ball Hodge um, conversation in terms of quality of players, but I think you know all three clubs would be happy with who they took in in that draft, and I think will uh, these three will will be sort of a similar standings in terms of you know we could argue to the cows come home who's going to be the better player, but I think will all clubs will walk away being pretty happy with who they ended up with. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And from a future leader to the current leader, uh, Dyson Heppel, it, it seems like that he's going to be offered a one-year deal. It seems uh, Truck was pretty uh, confident that that would, that would happen and that he wants him in the side. And I did, I did put out a poll this week on Twitter asking whether if Heppel signed on for next year, would he be a starting 22 player at the beginning of the year? And uh, I was a little bit surprised. We had 67% of people saying that he was going to be a best 22 player at the start of next year. And I think that's a poll result that would have looked very different eight weeks ago. Yeah, I think it would have looked very different four weeks ago. Um, I, I think his form this, for most of the year has been pretty good. It's just unfortunate that he was used to play on, you know, think back to Anzac Day, play on someone like um, Ginevan who who took him to the cleaners. Like, he's just, he's never been built for that type of matchup. Uh, you know, he's pushed out to wing. We'll talk a bit more about that change up later and what that means. But yeah, I think he's playing really good football. We're, we're not, flushed with leaders and experience. So I think, uh, I don't think we should be getting rid of them. And, and I think what we saw earlier this year is what happens when you don't have enough experience on the side We're we're young enough, mate, we don't be, we don't need to be getting rid of a, a young leader or, or pushing him out of our best 22, um, you know, too quickly. Uh, have a look at what's happened to the kangaroos. You know, they've, they've gone down the path of getting rid of a lot of their leaders over the last couple of years. And, uh, yeah, look, look where they're stuck now. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's good news. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to our, our biggest part of this segment. And there's been a – with Essendon's resurgence in form, there's been a few comments made by uh, some people in the media. 
uh, about what this actually means. And it's, it's been a constant theme, I think, for the last, particularly the last three or four weeks when we started winning that about the value of these wins. And they're bringing out the stats about how we, how Essendon tend to go in the back half of seasons. And whilst, whilst we think there's some, there's definitely some merit to those, uh, that idea and the idea that we need to wait until the start of next year to see how they're going. I think there's, there's also a tendency to uh, not really dig down into what's actually happening and, and whether you can spot any differences between this year's form and previous year's form. So we're going to go through a couple and I posted these uh, clips on Twitter um, earlier in the day. So if you are listening to this after the show, um, you can go back into my Twitter feed and, and find those clips to watch them. The first was uh, from Gary Lyon and on the couch, and he was really uh, he was really dismissive of, of Essendon this year. He, he described it sort of a, a horse that likes to come home quick, but still can't make the podium, you know, at at the turn. So, uh, and the, they're only performing the expectation uh, drops. So, what I guess what was your thoughts with the, with the Lyon comments? Matt, I just thought it was weird. I like really really strange. I don't think it's worth uh, even talking about all that much. Um, he finished with saying their football doesn't stack up. And then he, he went to throw to the, the next conversation. He said, do you know whose who's football does stack up? That's the Swans. And you know, we're not going as well as the Swans, clearly, but we beat them two weeks ago. We just kept Gold Coast to 29 points below their season average. Um, and they only scored from 33% of their inside 50 entries, which was their worst result of the season. So... Uh, yeah, what we're doing is is starting to stack up. It was just a, a a weird rant and ramble, and to be honest, I think it verged on being incoherent. Uh, it did it did seem that way a little bit. And someone someone who spoke on a, a similar point was David King on first crack. Now he was having a bit of a, a disagreement with Lee Montagna, who was quite bullish on on how we were going. Um, you actually had a bit of an engagement with with King, King on Twitter this week. What was your what are your thoughts on on his comments, and then, and in relation to what you guys were, were talking about? Yeah, so if you haven't seen it, um, yeah, Hume, as you mentioned, has, has shared the clips on Twitter. But the the context of what he was saying is that we've we've effectively sacrificed our defence to to improve our offence, and and we're playing real slingshot football. And uh, you know, I I do I, yeah, I give him credit for for engaging someone, tag me in. Um, the the segment and then um and then he responded and I do respect his his views on the game I wasn't a big fan of him as a player but um and I like you I get the notion that you know we shouldn't be carried away we've been here been in this situation before um I don't buy the we only win games under pressure we t- we talked about that or only win games when pressure is off we talked about that last week you know the the pressure on on our club you know four or five weeks ago was as intense as it's ever been so. We need to definitely earn trust and we can only do that really in in the first four or five weeks of next year. But I don't I don't agree with his comments that all we've changed is offense and, and that we're sacrificing defense to do it. I, I don't think this is just about run and gun style football. Uh, and I don't think that's right watching us play. So so from what I'm seeing through the eye and I don't think that the data supports it and you know, we don't you know, we don't have the full data available to us that someone like Kingy does. And um, I think, you know, he did call out a couple of metrics where the improvement maybe hasn't been great, but 
they seem really isolated and selective to me. And he said himself that in his comments that he needed to do some deeper analysis to understand if our wingers were dropping back to provide coverage. And I've I've done that. Um, you know, I saw it live and then watching the replay. Uh, or replays, I've done that analysis. And just on last week alone, it's, last week wasn't the first time this happened, but Heppel, Darren and Martin had 30 disposals on Sunday in the defensive half of our ground. So they were our three three main wingers and they absolutely got back. 11 of those disposals are in the back 50 and they combined for six intercepts. So they're, they're getting back to provide that coverage, whether our halfbacks are getting up the ground or not. And I think, you know, if you're, want to put yourself through watching the replay again of the weekend, just look at the first two set of bounces. The Suns actually won those. And what you'll see is Peppel and Durham were the first two players from either team to get back into the Gold Coast forward 50. Uh, and then we also saw Durham a number of times getting back as a plus one to compete in the air deep into our back line. So, you know, he, Kingy's observation that, that he hasn't done the analysis to see whether our wingers are pushing back. Well, uh, I'd start there and, and, and watch our game again because you can see that that's clear, clearly happening. The other metric that gets used a lot to counter our improvement is that whole coast-to-coast or um, transition defense. And we don't have that data available to us to, to really drill into it. It's, it's you know, locked down in, in champion data's um, kit bag. But by Kingy's own admission, we've improved to 13th. So it's still not great. That's not where we want to be, but we've improved from, from 18th, absolutely last to, to being 13th. So we've seen our offense improve, which King has said, and then his comment was that we've sacrificed defense to do it, but in the same breath acknowledged that one of those key metrics, we've actually improved from 18th to 13th. Now that's not to say that we're then going to step up and go and win a flag next year. Uh, we're still a long way from that, but it is actually showing that we're we're improving that merit. I, I also don't think it's a metric that has a, a huge deviation between best and worst, but hopefully um, it's something that we can continue to improve. Um, and what what do you think, mate? You've done some, I guess, some analysis on on some of the key metrics between round one and nine, and then how we've gone from round ten to eighteen. So we've been using the the Swans game in round nine as the before or after, but you've also gone a step further to compare it to, to how we went last year. So not just have we improved on what we were doing earlier this year, but have we actually improved on what we did in 2021? There's a few interesting, interesting points. So, you know, from round 10 to 18, we're not necessarily ahead of last year's rankings in, in certain, in certain key points, but we can look at that. So uh, points four, so round one to nine, we were 11th. Uh, round 10 to 18, we were ninth. Uh, 2021, we, w- we were fourth in that. So we haven't got quite back to the level of 2021 with our attack. And then points against round one to nine, we were 16th. And then round 10 to 18th, we've improved that to ninth, which is where we were at the end of last at the end of last year. So in terms of our points against as a, as a measure of our defence, we're back where we were last year, which, as you can imagine, is, is not great. But again, it's getting you know to a point where we can look to improve that. Yeah, so I think on on points four, you know, we were really the you know, fourth highest scoring team in twenty twenty one. I guess the the big thing that we need to acknowledge there is that we've lost Hooker and and Tipper from our forward line, which have been two, um, you, you know, obviously big losses. And then if you break down our our scoring a little bit further from round thirteen, when we got 
um, Stringer and Jones back. So we went from having Wright or Bust to having Stringer and Jones. And then obviously in the last three weeks, I think it's been we've we've added Langford to that mix as well. But last six games we've we've averaged ninety two points a game. So what we are seeing is that we can kick winning scores consistent. Well, it'll be consistent, I guess, when we've done it for for more than six games. But um, we're proving that we are able to kick winning scores when we've got our our first choice forward line in play. And then and then on the points against one, so we're we've averaged seventy nine and a half points against per game since round ten. So that's down from from ninety seven points a game in round one to round nine. So. 16th to 9th is a big jump. 79 to 97 is a – or 97, sorry, to, to 79 is a big jump. And while we haven't bridged the gap on 21, uh, 2021 yet, um, and, and the improvement is really just tracking what we did in the first half of the year to, to more recently, I think it, it is a sign that our defensive setup is starting to work. Um, and to give some context over what being ninth for points against means, we look at, at – the competition where they're at. Port Adelaide is fourth over the, the course of the season for points against. They've averaged 71 and a half points against per game. Frio, Geelong and Melbourne are top three at 68, 68 and 69 respectively. So we're, you know, eight points against a game away from being able to propel ourselves into the top four in terms of, you know, that key defensive measure. And that is how well are we doing in terms of stopping um, opposition team scoring. The next two, uh, so fifth and sixth, best in terms of points against is Sydney and Carlton. They're, they're 76 and a half and 76.9 points per game. So we're certainly closing the gap on the better defensive teams in the competition over the last, you know, seven or eight weeks and, and we're not far away. And I think, to be honest, if you if you think about where we're at, you know, ninth is a break, can't win a flag from ninth, obviously, but... Um, if you look at the profile of our list, the, the new players that we've introduced over the course of this season, and even the fact in the last eight weeks we played four of the top eight sides um, and, and three others that are you know in that contention to be finals, and some of them are, are among the highest scoring teams in the competition, to to be the ninth best defensive team in terms of points against, I think is a pretty good outcome for a young side against some really good offensive teams. So I think we should take some some heart from that but you've also looked at some some other areas mate yeah so a couple of I, I won't go through all of them because there's, there's quite a few but the few that stand out the biggest one of the biggest ones for me is that our inside 50s against so we we're conceding the 14th most inside 50s between rounds one to nine we're only conceding the third we can sorry with the third we're conceding the third least inside 50s uh that we, <laughs> so what you're saying is we've gone from being the the 14th best at stopping opposition teams getting inside our defensive 50 to being the third so the the reduction in our points against has really come off the back of that that high forward press and stopping teams from being able to get the ball inside our defensive 50 that's it you've done a much better job of explaining it as me that's, that's why you that's why you're the former footy analyst than i'm I'm not. Team, uh, teamwork makes the dream work, mate. That's it. Good stuff. Um, yeah, so a couple others. So, uh, as you'd imagine, centre clearance differential has improved. So we're second in the comp behind the Bulldogs. Uh, 2021, we were eighth for centre clearance differential. So, again, it's a real weapon for us. Uh, the area that I've, I think we need to really improve is stoppage clearance differential. And we've gone from 13th to 9th. 
for that. And last year we were 11th. So again, if we if stoppage clearance is something we can improve from the previous year, then again, that's that's something to, to work towards. Uh, another key stat for us has been contest, contested possession differential. Uh, we've gone from 16th to 7th on that, and our 2021 rankings was 13th. So again, really, really big jump. Uh, as you can imagine from our control of the ball in our, in our last few wins, we've, we're second for uncontested differential in the last nine rounds, and that's compared to sixth last year. Uh, our tackle differential, uh, we were 12th rounds one to nine, and we, we've gone to first uh, rounds 10 to 18, and that's actually where we were last year. We were first for tackle differential in terms of how many more tackles we had than our opposition. So getting back to where we were there, and same for inside 50 tackle differential, uh, we've got to fifth in the last nine rounds, and that's where we were in 2021. So there's a lot where we've got back to where we were last year in these last nine rounds, and there's a few areas where we're actually improving on 2021. So I think, again, that's that's some really good signs. But um, other comments from there in terms of the, um, what uh, David King was saying is that the, the recent forms come about because they have uh, changed the perception um, well, the perception is that the game plan has been radically changed. They've, they've let off the defensive aspects of the, of the game plan and, and just let them run free. Is that what you... I don't, I'm pretty sure that's not what you're, you're, you think it is. What do you think... What are the minor changes that we've made, though, in terms of the game plan? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I was certain it wasn't already, but then I, I heard Mason Redmond speak on Dwayne Russell's program on SCN. Uh, was that yesterday, I think? And, and he made the comment that the, the game plan hasn't changed. He, he just pointed that out as a, a fact. The, the game plan hasn't changed. And and one comment that he did make, which I really liked, is he said that the truck as a young coach is learning too. And, and we've got an environment where the coach and the players are learning together. And, and what he did say and, and what was consistent with, you know, Dylan Shields said it, Zach Merritt said it recently, um, you know, seems to be a, a real theme is that we've just simplified the focus areas. So, so the game plan hasn't changed, but rather than you know trying to focus on on the thing as a whole, it's it, it's really getting back to focusing on clearly contested ball being the primary one and then tackling being the other. And and you know I I think that what we're seeing with the faster ball movement is actually more uh, you know that it's intent on the game plan has been there all along. And, and I think you and I spoke about this. I think it was the buy round where we we tried to dissect the the offensive game plan, which was hard to do at the time because we weren't really doing a good job of it. But, um, uh, you know, I think ultimately what's helped is we've just got a forward line to kick to now. We've got targets that are able to get up the ground. We've got targets that are deeper inside forward 50 where you're able to get deeper entries. Um, opposition teams can no longer really just afford to sit on Peter Wright and, and put numbers around him. And we've got some experience back through the side as well. Sheil and Merritt have got over their injuries and playing much better footy than they were earlier in the season, Hines regained form uh, and then, you know, McGrath's gone back as well. So I think all of that just adds up to allowing our mids and and halfbacks to move the ball forward with a lot more confidence than what we had last year. We don't see that situation that we saw a lot earlier in the year where someone would, would run out of a contest or run away from halfback and then basically come to a complete stop because they didn't have anyone to kick to and, and you know, turn sideways or turn backwards. So I think... Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's been the catalyst of unlocking what we're seeing offensively. And then I think there has been some some tactical changes. And I guess the difference between game plan and tactics is, you know, game plan effectively is the the fundamentals of what you're trying to achieve. The tactics are the, I guess, the um, 
the bits and pieces that make that up. And, and I think there's been some some minor tweaks that are, that have been really important. Well, some of them aren't that minor, to be honest. But um, you know, we just just mentioned McGrath. He's gone back. I think he he adds leadership back there, and he really does organise things. If you get to the game on Sunday, um, try and take a bit of a look at what he does when the ball's in other parts of the ground. Uh, you, you'll see him pointing and directing and helping to organise the back line. I think Zerk Thatch has come in and playing really good footy um, and he just seems to have solidified things back there with Ridley, Laverde and, and Kelly as our sort of three or four key um, lockdown defenders and, and they're setting up the last lines of our press better than they were earlier in the year and I think that's just time and um, and confidence coming into it. We, we've spoken a lot about our press and how we're trying to defend higher up the ground and I don't necessarily think that well, I'm confident that hasn't changed. I think what we're doing is just we've got some defenders back there who are learning to work with one another better and, and are learning when to, to roll up and, and when to come really high and, more importantly, when to roll back. And I think we're just starting to see that come together. Heppel's gone to a wing, and I think that's done a couple of things. It's separated him and Kelly. Again, we've spoken a lot about that earlier in the year that that just wasn't working back there, the, the two of them in the same side. It wasn't necessarily about the footy that either of them was playing, but... It just that combination really did slow us down back there and created confusion over matchups. So, so I think that that's been important. The other thing it's done is given us a, a bigger body at the contest. And again, I think three or four weeks ago we talked about there being a bit of a trend for teams to use bigger bodies on a wing. Melbourne did it last year with Brayshaw. Swans have been doing it with Kennedy earlier in the year. More recently, Mills has popped out there, and then um, and Saints are one that does it a fair bit with with Crouch, um, although he's been admitted more recently. Um, so I think that's important. It gives us another big body at the contest. And in Heppel's case, it gives us someone who reads the play really well and knows when to drop back and cover, knows when to go to the contest as a, as an extra, and then he knows when to push forward. I think the other thing that he does really well is he knows when not to push forward. I think tendency for young wingers to really get into your forward 50 and create unnecessary congestion, whereas he's really smart and knows when to sit out and when to draw a man out. Uh, and then obviously Durham and Martin uh, are the other two wingers that are, are really working hard to, to push back and cover defensively. So I think, yeah, that, that wing position has really come together for us. I've spoken about Coldwell going into defensive midfield. That's been a big change. Um, and the thing that I like about that, again, we've spoken about this a lot, is just we're finally seeing our, our coaching group do some things to, to restrict the things that the opposition are really good at. And we're not just... The, We've gone away from this seeming, what was seemingly stubbornness about we're going to play our way or the highway and just do do the things that we want to do. Um, where yeah, we've really adjusted well. And then I think the other one that I've seen made is that that Merritt has um, has been starting at half forward, and he's been the one that's been swapping with Stringer when he goes into the into the centre bounce, and that's giving opposition some real headache on the handover because, you know, last year when that was sort of uh, Snelling or Dylan Clark, it's like, well, we'll just focus on on Stringer because with all due respect to, to Snelling or Dylan Clark, they're not really going to hurt us with the footy. When you've got Merritt and Stringer potentially running around a midfield and a forward line without an opponent, it does create op- some real headaches for the opposition. They need to be really mindful of it. So I think just to wrap that up, mate, this isn't us saying that we're right and people like David King and the like are wrong, um, conscious of not being called a nuffy again on, on Twitter this week. But um, I guess what we did want to do is just add a little bit of deeper analysis, share some insights and just help people to maybe give them some tools to to make up their own mind and, and not just buy into to some of the things that are put forward in the media. 
Absolutely. Well, we've got a, actually a request for a, a, a speaker. Vince is wanting to chat. So I think we've had Vince on before and we lost it because it was the one we didn't record. So I'll get Vince on and we'll, we'll hear his question. How are you going? Good, thank you, good. mate. How yeah, you? pretty good, thanks. Um, home, Tinderbox in Tasmania, having a beautiful evening. Um, listening to you, blokes. Uh, did want to say a couple of things. The first thing was I think you're absolutely right about the game plan issue. That I don't think it's really changed at all. And I think that we've just seen those players come back into the team that have made all the difference with the structures. Um, you talked about the forward line and, you know, you got Jones back in there and Langford, that really important player, um, making all the difference to those structures. So teams now have to... Um, you know, match up on those players and actually uh, work on those contests. And so Wright and the resting Ruckman, you know, with Draper and Phillips and that are getting a, a much better shot at it. So that's why we're scoring more. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit frustrating where you hear people talking about, oh, the game plan, the game plan all the time. But I think that this this is really what's happening. We've got some structure back with the players with experience and some strength coming back into the team. And that has led to us... Um, you know, working on the contest better. And I just really, the other thing I wanted to say was I really want to give a shout out to Dylan Scheel, um, who you know, a lot of people, including me, uh, we're pretty critical of and how the bloke has turned his game around and has made such a difference to the contested ball. And and I, I'm talking about the contested ball. You know, he's tackling, he's putting his body on the line, he's winning balls, he's making second and third efforts. You know, and that's making a real difference to the midfield and and also to to the forward line as well. So, good on him. I'm really happy for him. I'm really pleased to see him playing some of his best footy, if not, I reckon, his best footy for the club. What do you reckon? Oh, I I agree with that. I think the start of 2020, he was really good, and then he had the I think he got suspended and he he lost a bit of his mojo there. And I think 2019, he had an overall good year but this I, I agree this is his most consistent footy I guess if you, you're going to have one criticism you want him to start taking the shots when he's motoring through through the forward 50 um, you know I think if he, if he get back himself and was able to pull the trigger there you know you, you probably have got the best midfielder in the competition yeah. uh, in your hands if, if he could do that but as you said like he, he's doing everything else superbly and again you know when you've got that you've got merit and, and now you've added this defensive midfielder in Caldwell. You've got a lot of got a lot of weapons that you can you can use from your midfield and it's really exciting, especially with the young players like Hobbs and Perkins coming through. We we were discussing, you know, we, those of us on Twitter who spent a bit of time discussing it, we were discussing, you know, our most improved player um, this year. Caldwell is right up there on that list. He has uh, really, you know, added extra dimensions to his game. Um, and just on Shield kicking goals, um, it was great to see him kick that one on his left in the pocket a couple of games back, wasn't it? When he actually did take the shot and we were all going, yes, yes, take the shot, Dylan. And he did. And he did the job. And, yeah, it'd be great if he could hit the scoreboard a bit more. But um, you know, I'm just thrilled to see him tackling blokes, uh, you know, winning contested possessions and backing himself, burning people off through the centre and off the stoppages. It's it's really good to see that he's got the confidence back and maybe it was Luke Parker giving it to him. Maybe it wasn't, but who cares? The bloke's playing like, um, you know, the gun that he is. Absolutely. 
Well, thanks, thanks for um, speaking up, Vince. We really appreciate it. Um, hopefully, we don't lose it this time. <laughs> great, to, great right. to chat okay. and great to listen to you. See you. Cheers, mate. I can't confirm. We've uh, I hit the record button this week, mate. I, I've been on that one like a hawk uh, ever since. <laughs> Try not to make the same mistake twice. <laughs> Good one. I love your work. It's great to listen to you, and thanks for all your um, commentary, and especially through the Twitter channel. We really enjoy it, Jonathan. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Vince. All right. Well, it's been been a long show. We've still got. We haven't even got to selection yet. So let's let's get through that quickly then. So. Uh, S&Ns are pretty simple. Uh, Ham was the sub last week. And then D'Ambrosio, Waterman and Stewart. Uh, I think most of the people are thinking it's a, unlikely to see a change. Although, you know, given what we're going to talk about with Collingwood and, and their intercepting ability, I actually, and the fact that they played D'Ambrosio forward this week, I actually, you know, sneaky maybe uh, snelling for D'Ambrosio and use D'Ambrosio's uh, pinpoint kicking to, to split uh, Collingwood zone and, and avoid the intercepts. I don't know. I haven't brought that up with you uh, prior to the show. I don't know what your thoughts there are. Yeah, if I was picking the team, that's the move that I make. I, I would have thrown Menzi in and given him a crack, but it, he's obviously not in the squad. So, uh, yeah, I, I do imagine Snelling hasn't really given us much uh, in terms of, well, I don't think he's kicked a goal since he's been back and, and he hasn't got a lot of the footy. He's, he's had some poor turnovers. He, he doesn't seem to have found the level of form that he had last season. Granted, he's an ex- you know semi-experienced player and, and one that the coaching staff clearly value. But uh, yeah, I think D'Ambrosio could do a lot of uh, a lot of damage as a forward. I, I heard his junior coach say uh, a couple of weeks ago that that he, you know he I think his his words were wait till you see him play forward. If if you think he's good down back, wait till you see him play forward. So clearly he's he's got some ability down there. I'd, I'd do it. I, I, I wouldn't see that Waterman would play. I think that would just slow us down. And I wouldn't see Stewart coming in unless a Ruckman was to go out. So, um, uh, so yeah, that'd be the one, mate. But I think it's probably likely to be no change. And, and the Pies have, they've bought, well, they're, they're similar to us. Oliver Henry was last week's sub. So he's an Ian Quainor, Taylor Adams and Tyler Brown. I mean, I'd imagine that Quainor and Taylor Adams are certainties to play. Um, we probably won't see Tyler. Tyler Brown, I, I don't think he's the son of Gavin. I think he played Anzac Day, didn't he? So, um, so we've seen him before, but yeah, no outs from them at this stage. And yeah. I guess a couple of players just to watch on for them is Ash Johnson debuted last week. He was their mid-season pickup from last year. He's a he's a mobile forward and really dynamic and, and gets up the ground. Um, really quite athletic and, and kicked a couple of goals last week and had a really good debut game. And then Josh Carmichael is probably a name that'll be familiar to a lot of Essendon fans because there was a, a big call for for us to take him ahead of D'Ambrosio in, in that mid-season draft recently and he's, um, I think he's played the last two games now for the Pies I think he had 25 or 26 disposals on the weekend but only, I think they were all kicks weren't they, it was a real weird one, I think he had yeah, 24 disposals, 24 of them were kicks at about 25% efficiency but he's a hard-working mid he's got a big body, he tackles um, but yeah um, to be fair to him, he did play in the wet last week so it probably wasn't great conditions to to really show off his foot skills yeah and i guess looking at collingwood more generally uh they're probably they're the big probably the big surprise packet of this year for a lot of people in terms of just how quickly they've improved their performance they're on an eight game winning streak so that's freo and they won they beat freo over there which is the probably the most impressive part about that carlton hawthorne melbourne giants suns north and adelaide now, interestingly, of, of those eight wins, the two uh, biggest wins came against the top four sides they played. 
whilst the other six wins were all within two goals. And they've been really successful at winning game, winning close games this year. And something something that came to mind uh, for me was uh, Essendon in 2019. We had a streak of five games where we were quite tied or coming from behind. So it was uh, Great and West of Sydney, which was the one that ended with the hooker mark. And then uh, beating Sydney with Zach Clark mark on the wing. Uh, North Melbourne, which was the, the tipper goal game. Uh, Adelaide uh, coming from well back uh, there. And then Gold Coast before, uh, you know, eventually for, for Essendon, it was too much. And we, you know, five close wins were followed by two pretty uh, abject losses, which was the Port loss. And then the, the infamous Bulldogs game where I think they kicked 21 goals on the trot or something obscene like that. So, uh, yeah, my, my hope is that uh, we're going to be Port Adelaide uh, to us this week for Collingwood, and we're going to break their streak. But I think with some of their – couple of the other points for, for their game, you know, really keep them in games and I think gives them a lot of opportunity. So on on this winning streak, so the, those last uh, eight games, they've had the 10th best attack, they've had the second best defense. So it's, it's really close to Melbourne. And if you look at a lot of their stat markers, particularly for defense, the team that they remind you the most of, is Melbourne. So if you, you're thinking in sort of those lines in terms of the quality of their defence. Uh, so on that, they have the worst points per inside 50 going their way. So they, they create a lot of inside 50s, but they don't really score that heavily from them. But they have the best points per inside 50 conceded. So they're, they're really good at restricting teams even when they get inside 50. So they're having them take shots from uh, poor angles or they're, they're cutting off... Uh, they're cutting off entries quite easily. Uh, the second worst center clearance differential, whereas Essendon is the second best. This is in the, that last eight weeks, um, but they're fifth best to stoppage clearance differential. So center clearance is an area I think we can uh, exploit them at, and uh, but that's going to come into that. If we do win the center clearance, we've got to use it quite well because they're the number one uh, ranked intercept side for the season. So they've got uh, Moore, Maynard, uh, Quayner, who's come back, and Howe are all ranked uh, inside the top uh, 30 this season. For comparison, Essen has none inside the top 30 for intercept players. Uh, one other thing they're really good at is restricting opposition marks, uh, which is, again, has been one of our strengths since around 10 is, is our marking control around the ground. So that's another area to, to watch out for. If we're able to get on top around the ground in terms of marking and, and controlling the ball, uh, we're going to end the game, give ourselves the best chance of success. And so I guess... Looking at their, their win-loss stats, it's the teams that can beat, win the contested ball and can control the ball through the air through marking at the best chance of beating Collingwood. Now, that's not exactly, you know, that's not exactly, you know, a revolutionary game plan. You know, winning, winning, winning contested ball and then controlling the ball in the air is going to win you a lot of games. What are the, what are the things that you've identified from Collingwood uh, watching their results? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, they've had a lot of close games, haven't they? So there's a real even contribution in most of their games. They, they've been a pretty consistent performer. They lost to, to West Coast early in the year, which, you know, is obviously a big surprise, more so now when you, you think back to it. But And, you know, had that big win against the Dees, as you mentioned. But, um, you know, I think what, what we have seen is, yeah, just a, a real even contribution across the board from them. Um, and and I think the thing that we've seen in our own performances is that contested ball has obviously become king for us. And and in controlling that or, or, or having ascendancy in that area, it allows us to then control the ball on the inside. So I think that, again, will be a big focus for us. And, and I think it's it's the primary area that we have to win 
in order to be able to win the game. And with that in mind, I'm I'm sending Caldwell this week to Taylor Adams. Uh, he he's the player that I think we need Caldwell to tag, which which might sound a little bit um, counterintuitive, I guess, or, or come as a little bit of surprise given uh, you know some of the other players in Collingwood's side, but. They they rank 13th in clearances in the AFL. They're 17th in centre clearance differential, and they're 11th in stoppage clearance differential. So it's a part of the game mm-hmm. that they're not really good at. Um, Grundy and Dugowie aren't playing. They're their number one and two for centre clearances. Adams is third. Um, and then it drops down to Chris, but a fair way, who's, who's fourth. Um, Chris is, is actually their number one for stoppage clearance and Adams is second, um, but there's a, a hair's breadth separating the two. So I think we use Caldwell to Adams and just take that away from them, try and um, and just bring that, you know, what is already a challenge to them down to, to bare minimum. And, and as we, you know, Vincent and yourself spoke about, allow the likes of Shield to really just go to work and, and do what they're great at and give us a big ascendancy there. Uh, the one caveat in that though is, is if Pendlebury goes into the middle, I think we can be pretty confident that he's only going in there for one reason, and that's to to go and give them some contested ball and, and clearance win. And we know that he's much more damaging with the ball than Taylor Adams is. So in that situation, I'd be switching Caldwell across to Pendlebury and just take him out of the game. And, and I think if we can do that, we'll probably see them abandon that and, and move Pendlebury to, to other areas. Yeah, well, if you, you remember back to Anzac Day, it was that five-minute patch that Pendlebury moved into the middle, also coinciding with, with Parrish going off, that they really got it. I think they kicked three goals in that time, and that was ended up being the difference in the game. So you're right. One, if he goes in there, the flexibility to switch Caldwell is going to be a big, big thing. And I don't think Collingwood's going to be that worried about Essendon winning centre clearances, that they've lost them all year. It's been their intercepting at, at halfback um, that's been able to cut off those thrusts and then give them the opportunity to move the ball forward. So... Imagine, let, let's imagine that it, it plays out like the statistics say and Essendon's winning at centre clearance. How do you how do you avoid playing into their, their hands and, and just letting their interceptors uh, take the ball from, from you? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, we speak a lot about the virtue of needing to get deep entries into your forward 50. And, and if you do that, then you go a long way to bypassing opposition setups where, they, where they're trying to intercept marks. And and at worst, if the opposition do mark the ball, they're doing it, you know, as far from their their own goal as possible, and it makes it harder for them to get it out. You can set up your own wall, but I think we can use the six 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 to advantage here. So I think you know, just remember that that at a set of bounce now and has been for the last couple of years, one player for each team has to start in the goal square. So I'm I'm assuming that that Jeremy Howe, who's the for me, he was the one that was the difference between the two teams on Anzac Day. I'm assuming he's more than likely going to go to Harrison Jones. So if Jones is on him or whoever is on him, I'd be taking him back to the goal square for that that set of bounce and just trying to get him as deep as possible and, and get him away from where the ball is likely to go. And that allows then Jones to, to position and move himself away from where the ball might likely go. So if, if um if the ball's coming inside fifty and and you know right or or stringer or whoever is the primary target it just allows um Jones to to try and drag Howe away and, and gives him a really good starting point and and we saw Jones do a really good job of keeping Marcus Adams away from Peter Wright against Brisbane so I think that's the job that that we're going to need him to do again hopefully he can contribute on the scoreboard but even if he doesn't if he can if he can keep 
Jeremy Howe busy and, and reduce the number of intercept marks that he takes, then I think we, again, go a long way to, to winning the game and maximising those centre clearances that, that, as we both said, is an area that Collingwood are quite weak in. Um, the other thing that that stands out in their the one thing I guess that does stand out in their losses is not so much what they've done. There's, there's not a big difference between their own numbers, but there is a, a a big differential in the number of marks they've conceded in their own for sorry in their own defensive fifty. So in their wins, they concede nine marks in their defensive fifty per game. In their losses, it's out to sixteen and. We actually had 17 marks inside 50 against them on Anzac Day, but we, we couldn't convert. It. You know, our, our kicking a goal was pretty terrible. Um, and, and that was a forward line that didn't have Langford and didn't have Jones. So I think the work that we did last week to really separate our forwards and, and use all of our targets, not be predictable, is going to be really important against the Pies this week. And then the last one for me, mate, um, I'm not tagging Nick Dacos this, this week. Um, and again, that might... Um, there's been a lot of talk about this and, and I get it. We want to restrict him, of course, and, and he's he's such a good player. I, I couldn't be any more impressed. Uh, he's brilliant through traffic. The, the way that he uses, he's not a contested ball winner, but the way he uses the contest to find space to get himself free um, and, and the way that he uses the ball is, is massive. But um, for the same reason that we've talked about Stop restricting Taylor Adams, restricting Pendlebury, restricting Jeremy Howe. I think our best way to, to beat Collingwood is just to restrict them at the source. So, yeah, Dacos is someone that he, he's sixth at the pies for score launches. So he's he's not the one who's winning the ball back and then and then propelling them forward. He's he's the one that's getting the ball off someone else. And please don't misconstrue this for me saying that he's just a receiver. He's getting cheap ball because that that's rubbish. Um, but he's not the one that's that's going back with a fight and intercept marking. That that's being done by others. Pendlebury's second. Cameron, who's their ruckman, is third, and side bottom is fourth. So uh, for score launches, that is. So you know, the, I think there's just more dangerous players who are winning the ball for Collingwood and and creating setting up scoring opportunities for them than than Nick Dacos. And I think if we can cut them off at the source, then um, then we can go a long way there. This is a bit of a weird one, but that ninety-five percent of their kicks this season have been directed forward. So, and that's the highest percentage of any team. So they they really do use the ball forward by foot, and Dacos is a big driver of that. So I think, yeah, um, at risk of repeating myself. Stop Adam. Stop How. Pendlebury and side bottom are the other two big watchers. I think side bottom on Heffel makes for a really interesting contest on a wing. Um, so yeah, I think if we can restrict those, then. Uh, you know, Dacos, Quainall, what they can do and how effective they do comes right back by virtue of, of us um, really going to work on the guys that set them up. Yeah, absolutely. And as always, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll, we'll go look back at this at the beginning of next week's show and whether our thoughts came true or, or what happened in regards to those areas. Well, moving on, moving on to our final thought of the night. Uh, he's been on the He's been the topic of discussion all week for reasons that he would prefer not to be. Not, you know, to talking about uh, the rule, the rule changes, or the, I guess the rule, uh, the rule re- reinforcements that they've brought in. Uh, who goes to Jack Ginevan? What's the what's the play there? Is it is it obviously Kelly, or is there another player you would you would consider? Yeah, I I think it is. I think it is Kelly, mate. I, I Jamie Elliott's the other player that makes me nervous. He's he's got a good. Um, track record against us. 
I'm interested to see how Gidevin responds this week. He, he's, I really like him. I've said that a number of times. I enjoy watching him play footy. I didn't enjoy the way he went about it against the Crows. I think he did probably look to play for freeze first and, and, and put him off his game. So it's interesting to see how he handles that um, on Sunday. But yeah, I, I think Kelly is the one to go to him, mate. Be really physical and aggressive on him. Um, you know, don't do anything stupid. Don't give away a free kick. Don't whack him in the face. None of that. But but just be really hard and aggressive on him and, and, and let him know that he's going to be in for a tough game. And then I think, yeah, Elliot being the other one that I'm nervous on, I, I think McGrath uh, is a is a good matchup for him because McGrath's one that can play really well um, in the air and, and above his size, which is sort of the profile of, of J.B. Elliott as, as a footballer. Absolutely. And it just, just on Ginevan, you know, he won the Anzac Day medal and, and kicked five goals, but he only got one free fall that day. And I, I can't recall if any of them led to led to a goal. So, you know, he's, he's a quality player. And I think, you know, if he, if he gets, it's sort of, it's all like the Cody Waitman problem. You know, if you, you're a good player, but if you start getting this reputation for, for playing for free kicks, it's going to affect how you, how you go moving forward and you might not be able to get the best out of Kieran. As you say, you want to see, you don't want to see them necessarily doing against your side, but you want to see those sort of quality, exciting players playing well. It just makes it a great game to watch. Yeah, I think the the most important thing for us is just not worrying about what he does in in terms of how he it, uh, how he approaches the game. We just got to recognise that he's a really talented player. He's a barometer for them when he's up and about. A bit like what we said about Semi Draper, he gets he gets their team up and about. He gets their crowd up and about. So Kelly's someone who's got a really calm and methodical way that he goes about footy. So. I think um, he's just got to stop him from getting the ball. And, and what Ginevan does or doesn't do in terms of playing for Fraser or not playing for them is kind of on him, really. Um, yeah, we, we've, just got to, we've just got to beat him and, and not allow him to have an influence on the game. Absolutely. Well, big thanks to everyone uh, listening to this, especially those of you who listened live. Uh, went for over an hour tonight, which is, I think is close to our longest episode. So uh, big thanks to everyone who's listening to this. Uh, Big cheers to Vince for jumping on and, and chatting again. Really enjoyed uh, hearing some other voices uh, on this show and having some other opinions. So if you are listening to this and you want to get involved, uh, join the Twitter spaces live and, and put your hand up and let, let's hear what you have to say. Um, but other than that, we've really enjoyed the feedback that we've been getting and, and the interactions we've been having with people. Yeah, it's been great, mate. And thanks again to you for all your work. Your interview with Toby as well earlier in the week was great. And uh, yeah, um, Thanks again, mate. So, yeah, let's hope we can make it four from four and, and enjoy another win on Sunday. Absolutely. Go, Dons. Cheers, mate.